Running a business is one way. I think how you go about selling is a different way as well. I think everyone's trying to do the same thing, trying to start ads or trying to start Facebook ads or trying to advertise on different platforms. And they're all kind of doing the same thing. It's a quick Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Creator. Today, we are talking with Chin Maldonado, a 22-year-old who is wearing a lot of different hats right now, okay? Chin is, is huge in the branding game. He works with a lot of e-commerce businesses and other larger companies like Coke and Pepsi even on, on brand building and creating a strong digital presence and a strong brand image that they can use to leverage and, and grow their company. And what we dive very deep on in this episode is the systems and processes processes that Chin has used to get himself on track to becoming a millionaire by 23. Okay, he's currently 22 and he is very close. He's coming up on the edge of becoming a millionaire by 23. That has been his goal for a long time. So we break down exactly what has led him to this point, the systems, the processes, and exactly how he runs his business day by day, how he has built it from the ground up to the place where he is now on track to become a millionaire by the time he turns 23. So if you are interested in building significant wealth at a young age and learning the systems and processes needed behind very strong companies that Chin is running right now, you are going to get a lot of value out of this episode. So I want to encourage you guys to sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money. All right, Chin, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Super stoked to be sitting down with you here today. So our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro of this episode. But for those of them that aren't super familiar with you and what you're currently working on right now, could you give us a quick like 60 to 90 second intro as to what you're currently up to? Yeah, so I'm the COO of Digitalism. Um, We're the highest rated agency in Tampa right now. Um, We're currently operating at close to a million a year. Uh, We're almost there. We should be evaluated by that by the end of next year. Um, I am a branding consultant by nature. So I work with a lot of big brands like Coke, Pepsi, Patron, Miami Marlins, a lot of local Florida-based brands that have headquarters here. Um, TV brands as well, HSN and Evine. They have an office in St. Pete. Uh, I'm right now in the process of working on a few products that I basically am going to curate. Uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do because I've been involved in marketing for so long and branding for other companies. I've always wanted to kind of build my own product from scratch and then be able to do the same. Uh, so that's currently what I'm working on right now. Awesome. So you've got a couple a couple different things on your plate at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, so I want to transition back in time a little bit and then we're going to work our way back up. Um, but talk to us about like your middle school, high school years. Were you somebody that was getting interested in entrepreneurship, starting different projects? Were you interested in school, sports? What did that look like for you? Yeah. So growing up, uh, I grew up with a teacher and my mom went to school for eight years. So growing up was kind of systematic for me. Um, there was always an end result to a beginning result. There was always hmm. a consequence for an action. Hmm. So that's just how I've always ran my life. I think I've always just been like that. In middle in elementary and middle school, um, I was kind of the good nerd in class, I want to say. Uh, when I transitioned over to high school, I was involved in a bunch of sports growing up, but there was really nothing that kind of took hold. Mm-hmm. I started playing tennis later on in high school. Um, and then that actually brought me into D2 down the U of Tampa, where I went mm-hmm. to college. Um, but throughout high school, I was really entrepreneurial stick I guess uh, I was head of a bunch of clubs I was head of FBLA future business leaders of America I was vice president of student council my senior year um, I had actually created a business that ended up turning into a club that was kind of like for spirit uh, mm. like basketball baseball and things like that um, and that actually became the highest grossing club by the time I graduated which was really cool wow um, because it was a score organization I couldn't get paid from it obviously mm-hmm. it is what it is 
Um, but yeah, no, I passed that along and then I just took a whim and Tampa was the only school I had applied for. And at the time I knew I needed to go to college because that was just how I was raised. But uh, it was kind of a last minute decision for me to go full force with it because I didn't have a plan for second semester and I only mm-hmm. had my first covered. So honestly, I've kind of been the same most of my life. Did I always know the answer? Not at all. But I always knew I had some type of entrepreneurship spirit, but I don't think it really kind of took hold probably until I got to high school. Okay. And when you were like starting these different businesses and clubs and whatnot, what was, what was the driving factor there? Were you just trying to, to create something? Was it about, um, I don't know, like, what was it about for you? So the spirit club was actually more of filling a gap because I had been president for FBLA for two years already. Um, and no one bothered to kind of run against me. So I had a lot of authority when it came to how certain things in school ran. So we had a school store and people kept coming to us and asking, you know, you guys sell merch. Um, so it was just such a frequent question. I was wondering, can we do something to where we would have a reason for merch? So that's just mm-hmm. kind of how the, the whole spirit club kind of thing came. Like we need people to come out to basketball games and baseball games and all this cool stuff. So, you know, since I was head of that club that did the school store, why don't we just sell it out the school store and kind of combine two clubs? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really how it came about, but it was more filling a hole, just kind of how I'm doing now. And today it's kind of a lesson, honestly. Uh, I feel like people build businesses just to build businesses and not really focused on uh, what the result is, but rather because it's cool or because they're interested in it. And they're not really thinking logically about how is that going to affect me or how is that going to even make an impact in real life for people? Uh, so that was a prime example of honestly something that I had to learn over the years was filling a hole and finding a problem is honestly the most best way to incept a business that is going to last you a while. So a hundred percent, anytime I'm taking out a new project, I always have to be very clear on like, what is the problem I'm actually solving? Cause if there isn't a clear problem, then like, I don't know how I'm providing value to people. I don't know who I'm serving. I don't know what I'm doing for them. So I find that very, very important when you're trying to hone in on like a new project, like really know what the problem is and know who you're solving and how you're solving it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. So now you go off to college. Are you still working on entrepreneurial ventures? What is this looking like for you? So I graduated last year in May. Uh, I had built a clothing line, my ending of sophomore year, which completely drastically crashed and burned, but I learned a lot from it. (laughs) I actually tailored my own clothes out in Singapore at a manufacturing plant, spent wow. over 20 grand, honestly, trying to get it off the ground, but it just never happened. Um, my niche, again, has always been branding. So when I started my first digital agency, after that had basically happened, um, I had scaled that to about 10 grand a month by myself. And then my second agency, I actually sold because of the proof of concept from the first. And that's hmm. how I rolled with digitalism. Uh, in the midst of all that, I always kept my external branding contracts open with other companies. So that's really how I kind of got my funding for the business on top of, you know, meeting people, networking, finding strategic partners along the way. Uh, it's really the consistency and the drive is what really brought me to where I am today to be able to kind of be able to do the projects I want without having to worry about the financial part of it. Um, and, you know, it's something that most people wish they can do. But, you know, with that comes a lot more responsibility. I'm actually in charge of honing in more responsibility than I ever have before because I'm in charge of investor money. I'm in charge of hedge money, seed money, uh, and really making sure that the company meets its metrics and goals. And it's, it's not something that most people, I think, my age can handle stress-wise, pressure-wise, and most importantly, just overall, it's, it's a lot of stress on a day-to-day. Being having to run digitalism and having to also create other companies in the process. I've done it before, uh, but it's not the easiest thing to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about the process because I get a lot of people messaging me every single day saying I'm in school and I want to drop out to start a business. And I am living proof that like, you don't have to do that. I'm, I'm a student in Wisconsin um, running this business, had a social media marketing agency at one point. Um, but I think a lot of people have it in their heads that like you can only do one or the other. And, and clearly that was not the case for you. So can you talk to, to the listener who might be in school right now, maybe it's their freshman year and they're thinking they have to make the choice between school or entrepreneurship. So I think the biggest thing that people forget is we're still in charge of our own life. Uh, and I think when you go to college, you get sucked into every bit of temptation. And I don't want to say need or want. I'd rather use the word kind of like commodity. Sure. Uh, to where you feel the need to go out to a party. Or you feel the need to spend money to go to dinner. Or you feel the need to go do this with your friends. Or you feel the need to skip class. Or you feel the need to sleep in. And it's, it's one of those things where that slight, mental change can force all those decisions to become the opposite of what the everyday college kid would want to do. That's really all it is. There's nothing to it. It's, it's, it's having to give up something to get something. So, you know, there were days I couldn't, you know, hang out with my friends. There were weekends I couldn't go out the whole weekend. There were nights where I couldn't stay up late. And yeah, you may be looking at it as, well, you're only in college for four years. You know, why would you want to spend it working? But you know, you're still in college for four years and that's plenty of time to get your party out of the way and kind of focus on, you know, what happens after those four years? Uh, because most kids spend, you know, four years doing that. And then when it hits graduation day, they're like, oh, wow, you know, where's that piece of food <laughs> that I need so badly to make 50 grand a year? When if they probably would have, you know, cut back a little bit after that freshman, sophomore phase and said, you know what, let me allocate my my weeknights to maybe building something and my weekends can still be my fun. And then, you know, your senior year, you're a little bit more grown, you know, let me maybe pull back a little bit on the weekends now, maybe take a day or two off on the weekends or something like that. Um, that's usually what I find. And I graduated with a lot of people that honestly were shocked that graduation was that day. And, you know, I was in the midst of making digitalism. So, for me, it was like, okay, let's get graduation over because I got to go to work. Uh, so, you know, it's all about the mindset. I really don't think it's anything more complicated than that. I think it's mindset, personal preference, and overall sacrifice being able to say, I'm going to do this instead of that, and I'm going to give up this to get that. Uh, and if people had a little bit more of a strong mindedness, I think that that would solve that problem overall. Is that something that comes pretty naturally for you? I mean, you said early on, you saw like that cause and effect relationship between your actions and the results. So it sounds like this is something that you sort of just had in you, or was it something that you had to mindfully develop over time that, that awareness to know that I have to make sacrifices now if I want to create the lifestyle that I'm looking to create um, by the time I graduate. So I've been asked this question before. And the last time I actually was asked it, I said that it was a part of me and it was actually one of the few answers that I gave that didn't make sense to me after I thought about it. Hmm. So I'm going to switch my answer. My answer to this would be, you have to make that decision for yourself. I, I would say it's always been built into me, but that's because of how I was raised. But yeah. I think overall, if you're a person that wasn't raised like that, it's as simple as a mind switch, to be honest. You have to look at you know, society in general, right? Like people look up to you know, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Michael Jordan, and some of the most famous athletes in the world. All they did was that. It's, it's, it's a mental change. They decided to get up every day and do one thing that's trained at the one thing that they're good at. And it really comes down to, do you want to be good at something? Do you want to excel at something? Do you want to make X amount of money in a certain amount of time? That's where that sacrifice comes from. You have to be willing to do what most people wouldn't. And, you know, 
for example, Serena Williams would get on a court and hit a ball a million times a day. Well, some people just don't want to hit a ball a million times a day. So that's why you're not as good as Serena Williams or, you know, LeBron will sit on the court and do 300 free throws in a matter of an hour. Well, I mean, if you're not going to do that, then you probably won't be as good as LeBron James. So it, it's, it sounds simple. It's not simple, but really the, the concept is very simple and that's sacrifice. You know, it's something that our age and uh, people today in our generation have no type of understanding of, and it's because of social media, it's because of the perception, the easy way out, the get rich quick scheme that most people are advertising on the internet. Uh, and that's just not how I was raised. I always learned you had to work hard for something and usually a shortcut is what it says. You know, mm. shortcut, you're gonna get cut very short in that <laughs> time span. So, you know, I, I, I answered it one way and I really see it as both ways. So I really, I think it depends, but I, I personally think it's a quick mental shift if you're willing to do it. So when were you able to hone in on your sort of one thing being branding? When, when did that really set in for you? I think it was honestly after I got to Tampa, uh, I had did the spirit club thing and mm-hmm. I had branded the whole thing myself with a couple of friends from yearbook at the time. And I guess my eye kind of led to the overall design because I designed all the t-shirts and I designed the whole branding and everything like that based on their ideas I worked with them to design it. I'm not a designer by nature. I don't really know how to design things on Photoshop or anything, but I know mm-hmm. how to force the right people to get the vision to where I need it to be. Uh, and I think when I got to college, I had applied for this Craigslist uh, ad and it was a marketing position. And I actually got called the day I got to Tampa for it for an interview. And I remember the call, I was moving into the, the dorm and you know, I was asked, can I come in for an interview? And I went to the interview. Um, you know, it was this woman who was an accountant by nature who was opening up a food tour company and she was looking for a director of marketing, help her brand, help her develop digital, help her build a website and all the basic things that you need to start a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, curse. But I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I had only done that one thing in high school. And, you know, she asked me this one question. I'll never forget this question. It's the only question I really remember from the interview. And it was, you know, what makes you feel like you can do this compared to the next youngest person who's 23 and has a degree? And I told her, I don't know, to be honest, but I think that I can do it better than them. And that's just where I left it. And she took a chance on me and she hired me. Uh, and long story short, I worked for her for eight months. I built her food tour company from the ground up. At the time, I was really kind of winging it. I was taking it piece by piece. I was doing research. I was trying to figure out what was the right way to do it by duplicating another business in a way. Uh, And it worked out. She's been open for five years. She was projected to close after the first based on her revenue. Uh, And I think the branding and the message and everything that we had built together is really what kind of sustained her all these years is consistency and having a good foundation that she was able to build off by herself even after I left. So um, I think that that's when branding came up, honestly, for me. I've realized that creating a brand is so much more powerful than being able to create a business. Uh, Mm. When people create a business, they focus on, you know, how can we sell? How can we operate? And most importantly, you know, how can we keep going? But the one thing they usually forget is their look. And and that's what branding is. You know, the first thing people hear, the first thing people look at, most importantly, the first thing people see on a shelf. I think that's the most important part behind any high quality product or any type of one-off product that no one else has on the market. I think the branding is the most crucial thing that keeps it going. So that's where it began for me. Okay. So, so talk to a listener right now, like 18, 19, 20 years old, who, who has some kind of project they're working on, whether that be um, a physical product business, a, a agency. Um, what, what are kind of the pillars that you think are most important to focus on 
when it comes to branding for somebody who's just starting off, they, they've just launched their business. They have a couple clients, maybe they have a couple customers for their business. What are some of the first things that they should be focusing on um, either like optimizing for, or just like um, making sure that they're giving time and attention to. So from a branding perspective or just yeah, branding perspective. Okay. So I always, I actually have a course on my partner's uh, online cheat sheet for e-commerce on this. Okay. Very big problem in the e-commerce space. A lot of people are building these very short-term stores or yep. They're scaling it and then they're cashing out and they're closing the store and then they go and they move on to another product that could have fit perfectly with the other product. So that kind of confuses me as well. But uh, I, I tend to focus on three things. I tell people to focus on your design, your message, and your overall longevity. Uh, it's the three main pillars that I focus on. So under your design, it's you know your colors, how you look, what's the feeling you give people. Um, and most importantly, you, you know how are you going to look next to everyone else? Do you look like someone else? Do you not look like someone else? Do you look apart? Uh, when it comes to the messaging, I tell people, you know, your name is the most important thing. And then your slogan is the second most important thing. It's the first two things that people want to hear. Hmm. Most importantly, it's the first two things that you should tell someone. Uh, you should always have a company values. You should always have kind of your vision for the company. And those are the two guiding things that will take you to where you need to go. Because when you build your business for the first time, you have that long-term dream. And if you set that in concrete paper and you stick to it, it makes it easier to run your business. And most importantly, it makes it easier for you to address a question or a problem because you'll just go back to your roots. You know, if you're that company that wanted to focus on X, Y, and Z, you'll never make a decision to go ABC. Uh, and then the third thing is design, messaging, and overall, what was the third thing I said? Um, longevity. Longevity. So the biggest thing I find is that people will build a business to build a business uh, mm -hmm. and they'll brand a business just to brand a business. And they're not focused on what happens in three years, what happens in five years, and what happens in 10 years? Uh, because when Johnson & Johnson or Tide or, or um, that's a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, you know, when Johnson & Johnson was made, Walmart, you know, all these brands that have been around for decades and will be around Amazon, Tesla, mm -hmm. they didn't think about the product. They didn't think about um, the design. They really thought about the longevity. What can we name this or what can we make it stand for? that takes the message and takes the design and wraps it all in one for the next five to 10 to 20 to 30 to hundred years. That's usually what people fail, fail to forget. And again, it's an issue in our space because you have young people falling for the mockery on social media, thinking that the Tesla is the easiest thing to get in the world. And they're not focused on the longevity principle of how do I keep that Tesla? You know, there's insurance, there's maintenance, there's liability. I mean, there's so many things that come with buying something like that. There's so many things that come with, you know, I have a Porsche circuit. There's so many things that come with buying a Porsche. I just don't show up at the dealership and say, Hey, I got 50 K. Can I get a Porsche? You, <laughs> the, it's the longevity factors. Can I even keep that Porsche for the next, you know, three years um, maintenance wise. And most importantly, you know, should, can I really afford this? It, it, it all coincides even when you're building a business. You have to understand the longevity and cost effectiveness of building a business. It's not a product that is here to go. If you really want to create something that's going to pay you back tenfold after a year or two years by doing maximum work that first year and not taking the short way out, it, it's focusing on the messaging and the design and the longevity of the business. And, you know, everything else will follow after that. That's huge. So bouncing back to design for a second, um, one idea that I've heard from a couple different people when it comes to to branding is that like 
the example that I usually use is like book covers. And, and people say that like, you should never make your, the design of, of, in this case, your book cover, like too radically different from other people in your space. Um, because you want it to like sort of resemble what other people are doing. So when somebody sees your book cover, they know it's like a, a entrepreneurship book or like a, a dieting book. So do you embrace that kind of philosophy, not necessarily in book covers, but like in the projects you work on, is it important to you that the things you create are, are sort of similar to other things that already exist in the space? Or do you think it's more important to sort of stand out and be a little more radically different? I personally think it's more important to be radically different. I think we live okay. in a time period where actually design is super saturated. Hmm. Uh, names are saturated. The internet's becoming a little bit more saturated to the point that we're resulting into other extensions other than .com. Yeah. Uh, so personally, I take the principle of being completely different. I'd rather be the brand on the shelf that, uh, is next to other products that are in my niche that pops hmm. uh, or people might question, is that even in the right place? Uh, because now more than ever, it's getting harder to differentiate yourself on a shelf. It's getting harder to differentiate how to stand out. And I think taking that extra wild approach is the smart thing to do. Uh, for example, with the CBD brand that I'm coming out with called Human Earth, uh, I took the vowels out of the words human and earth. So when I combine them, the sounds of the letters that are left, which are H-M-N-R-T-H, if you were to syllabalize it and say H-M-N-R-T-H and make those sounds, it would still make human earth. Uh, and it looks really cool on a shelf and it stands out. And the design elements I decided to include were plasma orbs, which if you broke down the human body into liquid form, it would form plasma. So it takes a little bit for the user to think when it comes to my brand. But at the end of the day, I know there's no other CBD product on the shelf that's going to look like us. So I know for a fact that we're going to catch the attention of the consumer before anyone else. Hmm. And then they'll get it. They'll, they'll, they'll get it by just picking up the product and just reading all the other things around our name and branding. Uh, and I think that that'll create a nice lifestyle piece, design piece, and overall branding piece to where we'll be that cool thing on the shelf. You know, we're not the usual every day. So I personally think it's important to differentiate, differentiate yourself. And I don't think people are really doing that now more than ever to be honest you have like five to ten brands popping up in the e-com space that are like e-com degree e-com master the e-com guru <laughs> fantastic and it's like, okay we get it you know you're an e-com but where does it go beyond that you know what i mean it's, it's it's why i created a word for my marketing company digitalism the word doesn't exist uh i combine half of the word digital and the ending of like alcoholism because the suffix lism is an act of being. So we're an act of being digital. It makes sense. Um, we went from 2000 results and I think we sit at 17 to 20,000. And as we grow the company, we'll end up creating our own avenue on the internet to where if you search our name, we're the only thing that pops up. So I think it's super important for people to do that now more than ever as the internet saturates. What are some, what are some good ways to differentiate yourself? I know you talked about like the, the name itself, but what are some, what are some other aspects that people can be focusing on when they're trying to differentiate themselves from everybody else that's already out there in their space? How you run your business, something I don't see very often. I think people result into copying the business model of others instead of logically thinking for themselves. Okay. I just bought this course and it told me to do ABC and A is an, in, an invoice system, B is a contract system, and maybe C is how I sell. Instead of going out and refining the same system just differently, they just result to the same thing. So mm -hmm. now they're operating like every other person that bought that course. Um, running a business is one way. I think how you go about selling is a different way as well. I think everyone's trying to do the same thing, trying to start ads or trying to start Facebook ads or trying to advertise on different platforms. 
and they're all kind of doing the same thing. It's a quick 10 second kind of synopsis and swipe up. You know, there's no creativity within it. There's no livelihood to it, at least to my eyes. I see the same thing over and over again. So instantaneously, I mean, I lose interest and I'm usually one of those people that are targeted a lot because I'm in the space. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine how someone who's never been in the space feels if they just show interest one time. I can imagine that they feel like they're seeing the same thing. So I think how to run your business, maybe how to advertise is another way that people can go and how to sell. And maybe the third can honestly be how to difference yourself as a person. You know, we live in a time period where we have such an advantage at such a young age. And I don't think people realize that. I think people are just taking the easy way out and watching Netflix every day and saying, yeah, I'll get to it. Or yeah, let me spend eight hours a day on social media. And I mean, you're literally watching people make money by the minute. And I mean, that, I, I mean, that speaks more about someone than it does everyone else. And I don't know how people our age can sit there and say, I'm just going to use this thing and not make money off of it. Or I'm going to use this thing and not figure out how to make money off of it. Because I mean, like we saw before social media, there's going to be a time where this becomes normal. There's most importantly, there's going to be a time where advertising becomes more expensive because it's the only thing people in the world are using. So I think people our age just need to realize that if they can focus on those three things, you know, how to run your business, how to sell your business and how to really put it out there. And at the same time, how to utilize the tools that we're being given. Those are honestly the three biggest things I see that people need to start changing. Okay. So given that, what are some of the questions that you ask yourself when you're trying to figure out how to differentiate your business on these different aspects or the projects you're working on? What, what does your thought process look like as far as like figuring out how you can look at what people are currently doing and then do something that's in this case, radically different? I'm a big proponent on research. I don't think a lot of people focus enough on it. Um, okay. and I think we focus in on it uh, and I'll refer back to e-com a lot because it's the biggest thing in our space. Sure. Like people will search trends of products and they'll see, wow, this product is really trending and it's been increasing over the past three months on Google Trends. So they'll open up a store around that one product. And instead of doing extensive research, like actual research, they'll stick to that one product, they'll scale it, and then they'll close the store. If they probably would have researched even more, they probably could have put five products under that one store, branded it the right way strategically, and actually started a brand, like actually started a store that regardless of those products don't trend anymore, excuse me, it's a simple swap out. It's a simple, we update this product or we get a new type of product or we get a new type of supplemental product or upsell. Instead, they just close the store and say, okay, let's go find the next trending product. So research is the biggest thing for me. And I do a lot of research whenever I start a company, whenever I brand a company, whenever I think about how to strategically take it to the next level, research is the biggest thing. And luckily for us, we're granted the biggest research tool in the world and that's the internet so there there really is no reason why someone should be creating a business and then fail uh and again that goes back to the lesson of the clothing line i started views on views i didn't research enough in the market honestly i didn't realize that the clothing market was one of the hardest markets to get into and some people tell me well you're an idiot you shouldn't do that but honestly it's it's something as simple as your own perspective can really cloud the reality of the world and that's where research kind of hones you back in and says, hey, this isn't a good idea. You know, the market's saturated. There's already 10 brands coming out. Some of the big boys are coming out with their own products. So it's definitely going to get saturated. Research, honestly, is the only thing I can think of. 
When you're researching, are you mostly looking at learning from like mentor figures? Are you looking at current competitors? Are you looking at past companies that shut down? What are, what are some of the key areas that you focus on when doing research for a new company? All of the above except mentors. Okay. Uh, I've met all my mentors from networking events and just logistical relationships, just running into them. Uh, when, when it comes to opening a new business, I do look at the key indicators of how to set myself apart coming out of the gate like we talked about. So mm-hmm. what is everyone doing? You know, What products do they have under their belt? What have they done to their branding since they've started? Have they changed their branding? Have they evolved it? You know, I'll go back all the way into an Instagram like three years just to see what that company's done over the course of three years on social media and how times have changed to see if they've adjusted their content and mediums and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, again, it's research. It's just really diving into what the company's doing right, what they're doing wrong. How can we capitalize on it? Uh, I'll give you an example for Human Earth. Some of the things that we're going to fix that I've seen in the space is lack of knowledge, uh, consumer knowledge, you know, really dumbing down medical terminology because you know i'm sure you know what cbd is but do you know that there's three different types not many nope. people do, right? <laughs> so you know and then within those three types what are the benefits and what are the cons because with everything there's always a pro and con uh, design was another thing that we're going to get up if you search cbd on google and just type in cbd tincture or cbd oil I can guarantee you that the first 10 products almost look exactly the same. The four colors you're going to see are green, brown, blue, and white. And those, none of those colors are in my branding. So it's for a reason. It's because everyone looks the same on the shelf. Uh, and another thing would be lifestyle. There really is no CBD lifestyle company out there. Uh, you have a few that are public in the Canadian market, like MedMen, and um, there's like one or two more out there. But, you know, they're not even based in the U.S. They're taking hold of the U.S. market, but they're not, you know, they didn't really start here per se. Mm-hmm. So no one's really building those three pillars, education, design, and lifestyle. So those are the three things I found to be the main focus in Human Earth because I didn't see it as a single focus out on the market. So doing that research to find the holes is really where and how I build a business from scratch. Mm, exactly. And again, that just comes back to what you were talking about earlier, where you need to find what the problem is and solve the problem instead of just creating something that you think will be successful. Like look at, look at what's actually going on and figure out where you can go that nobody else is going. Exactly. And it's kind of why I get pissed when people buy the same course. So I'm saying to myself, I'm like, you know, just because a thousand people bought it doesn't mean it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, you know, the common sense, you know, it's not so common, unfortunately. So people still fall for it, but it's the same principle. That's the truth. Now I want to talk a little bit more about your digital agency. I get a lot of people messaging me asking um, how to start their agency, how to scale their agency. So talk to us a little bit about how your agency is structured and um, which, how you basically decide what clients to work with, what your niche is, et cetera. So, I mean, we work with a wider range of clients. We work with B2C, B2B. Um, for those who don't know what that is, it's business to consumer, business to business. Um, a lot of organic traffic is really how we do it. We put out a lot of content to generate that organic traffic. Uh, video, like Gary says all the time, is the next future medium, still is, will mm-hmm. be. Uh, when it comes to running, I have two managing partners that I enacted back in October. So I had a Digitalism 1.0 and then I kind of shut it down. I had a staff, I had employees and was working out of my partner's office and it was boring. So I shut it down uh, and I really always wanted digitalism to be kind of like a think tank house where I could bring in people my age to run a company and kind of show them how I did it, the mistakes that I did and how I overcame those mistakes in many ways and how I brought myself to where I'm at financially, logistically, and most importantly, business oriented today. So I have two managing partners. Um, Jordan Nazaro is one. He's the chief sales officer. 
I have Kendall Shaw, who's our CAO. He's a chief analytics officer, so you can compare him to a chief marketing officer, if anything. And then I have three department heads. I have Piero, who's the chief content officer. I have John, who's our president of sales. And then I have Anthony, who's our chief experience officer. And the two managing, we all consult. We're known as the board. So we make all the executive decisions, me being the last word. And then Jordan and Kendall run the day-to-day within digitalism, and then the department heads are under them with full direction for each project. Um, there are holes. There, there's always going to be holes. There's always going to be ethical holes. You're going to have financial holes, but most importantly, you're going to have holes. And they're holes that are not easy to deal with. They're hard to deal with. But once you kind of pinpoint them, they're easy to address. Uh, and they take time. So the way that it runs is I'm kind of leaning away from the company little by little, giving Jordan and Kendall the full authority to run this company the way that they see fit based on what I've kind of showed them and guided them through the last few months while I try to address all the other products I have, projects I have on the table that eventually Digitalism will then be the main marketing company for and benefit the most out of. So that's the overall plan. Um, Day-to-day, it runs pretty smoothly. Everyone's awake by 5 5 a.m., which is usually unethical for most people our age. (laughs) Work all the way till 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., or until the work gets done, to be honest. Uh, We do that five days a week. Weekends are give or take. Some weekends we work, some weekends we don't. It depends how busy that week is, uh, fulfillment and sales-wise. But... um, Pretty standard way of working. We all work together as a team. That's the most important part. I've never ran a company to where I had a separation or division of powers. I've ran all four companies that I've had and all five that I'm currently involved in with full transparency across the board. I don't think you need to lie to people. Most importantly, I don't think you need to hold things from people. Uh, with that being said, there is information that you give in a timely manner so that you don't get you know complacency or you don't get um, erratic actions from or erratic behavior from but transparency across the board you know kendall and jordan are fully aware of where we're at financially they know what we have to do goal wise um you know everyone's aware of projects that we have sitting everyone's aware of sales incoming there's really we all operate out of one house so it's kind of hard to hide uh but full transparency across the board and just running the day-to-day we work together as a team you know i'm still doing other projects but i make it my main priority to answer all emails every day um, making sure that Jordan and Kendall are still operating the right way until I feel comfortable enough to just completely step away, um, which is coming sooner than later, which is great. So it's been a journey, but it's been a really good one. And I know we're headed to where we need to go. Okay. So talk to us a little, a little bit more about the, the house, like the think tank house model and why you chose to, to pursue something like that. So I had employees. I had six under me at one time. I had mm-hmm. two graphic designers, a social media coordinator, a content creator, a web designer, and I had an assistant at one point. When you payroll people out by the hour, they expect uh, one through 10. And what I mean by that is you don't fully get the creative out of someone. You don't fully get the workload out of someone. You don't get the potential. Most importantly, you don't get them. And that was the biggest hurdle for me to realize after five months of having employees was I couldn't get the full potential out of them because I was paying them hourly. And if they felt like they weren't getting paid what they deserved, they hold back. Or if you're overpaying them, they get complacent. So that's one issue that you deal with. The other issue that you deal with is having to schedule out work on an hourly basis. You know, I may have a client that may need something last minute, so I may have to take them out of a project. They may not feel comfortable with that. And then productivity ends up slowing down. Another thing is as the company grows, employees expect to grow with the company. They don't really pay attention to all the expenses 
the overhead, the things that actually go into creating a company, all they care about is, well, you already write me a check for $13 an hour. So why can't I just get two more dollars an hour? It's, it's one of those things where, you know, not, you know, employees just don't get it. And then the third biggest thing that I realized was obtaining an employee is easy because conducting an interview process is fairly easy. Keeping the employee is the hardest thing because they almost kind of tangle you into I'm here. So you have to pay me. And if you let me go, I'm leaving. It's it. I was almost held hostage by an employee once because she knew that we were in the middle of a big project and she was kind of threatening me saying that I was going to leave if I didn't give her a raise. So it's one of those things where I realized having employees is just most, most of all limiting them for what they should be doing in the creative digital space. And second of all, limiting myself in terms of how I can grow a company the way that I see fit because I'm the type of person that works from 4 a.m. to 10, 8, 10 p.m. just to get something done that day and 50 other thousand things that maybe don't need to get done that day. But I know getting them done that day is more proactive than waiting. So I needed people that would operate like that because if I'm going to win, and most importantly, if I'm going to help anyone win, I need to know that you're all in with me. So you, you don't get that out of employees. You get the hourly, I call it the hourly sensation. You get them by the hour for eight hours a day, five days a week. And you have 40 hours to split between that person, get all your work done for your company times five people. So really two hours of productivity spread over five days. I found it harder to run a company that way than I do now. Um, and I knew that that was the case. So that was really the idea behind the think tank was giving everyone an equal opportunity that if you put the work in, you'll get the results out. And most importantly, if you stick by me, I'll take you with me. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where that's really what kind of decided for me to do my original idea, which was a think tank when I first made digitalism. Okay. And where did you find those original partners? Where did you find um, Jordan and Kendall? Uh, I actually found Jordan last year, um, beginning of the year before he started his journey publicly, I would say. Uh, and Kendall, I had ran into him on Instagram probably April last year. And he had told me that he was actually coming to University of Tampa, which was my alumni, um, for freshman year in that August. So I told him, I'm like, hey, you know, come to my office. I'd like to meet you. We can, you know, maybe work together or do something, you know, just come by and we'll meet. So he came down. He ended up coming down early. He actually came by my office the first week of school. I met him. Really smart kid. You could tell he knew what he was talking about times 10. I wasn't really familiar with the e-com space at the time as much. So instantaneously, I think talking to him for 30 minutes, I instantaneously knew a bunch more than I knew within those before those 30 minutes. Uh, but most of all, I could see that he was willing to work. His focus wasn't there. His drive wasn't really there, but the focus was there and the potential was there. And I could tell he was a really smart kid that if he honed in, really understood the concept of what it is to run a business, he'd be really good at it. Uh, Jordan, I had, I, I don't want to say discovered, I just ran into him online because he was selling stuff at one point. Um, but I had watched him progressively throughout that year. And I had actually called him in July of that year. I think it was around the time or after the time he got featured in Entrepreneur Magazine. And I wanted him to sell for me. I had a bunch of services within Digitalism 1.0. I didn't have any sales people. I was bumming for me. I was fulfillment with direction of the staff. And, you know, when I reached out to him, he really wasn't interested. Kind of gave me a cold shoulder, shrugged me off. Wasn't a big deal. Um, but I never took my eyes off of them. So when Kendall had came down, I had told him we have to work together. I extended him uh, my credit card to run an e-com store around a few brands that I had built. You know, they didn't do so well. It is what it is. We learned from our mistake. Uh, that was one of the reasons why I signed him as my managing partner was 
he didn't give me the answer that I was expecting. Usually when someone fails, they give up. He was giving me the answer of, I think we should do this to fix it. So that immediately told me that he was ready to kind of be able to run a company or sector of a company. And then with Jordan, uh, he had actually booked a one-way ticket down here, never booked a uh, two-way ticket, came down. He was only supposed to really talk to me about um, an opportunity that I had for him here. And within the next month, we were already moving into a house. We had already done $30,000 in sales in 20 days, and he never booked a return flight. So that's how that came about. And then we ended up bringing in the three department heads and we all moved into a house and we really honestly started operating on January 1 of this year. So what started in October 12th of last year ended up being officially January 1 this year. And that's just how the house got built. Interesting. So is that, who, who would you recommend uh, some kind of, of, of model like that to? Like what kind of company do you think that's a good fit for? I think any company can run like this, honestly. You could be a product company, you can be an agency, you can be an advertising firm, an SMMA, you can be anything in our space and run a company like this and make more money, make more efficiency, and most importantly, grow a company faster. Uh, When you live with people, you get a chemistry, Hmm. uh, you get a synergy, and most importantly, you get what you can't get in a company, and that's autonomy. Uh, And those three things, when you take those three things and put them in one, you can't really fail at that point. Your fail rate is very small. The only way you fail is if you get complacent, you get lazy people, you get people that just don't want to do the work or, you know, you just stop operating period. Other than that, really you're set up to win in that case. You know, our, our, our monthly expenses are lower than if I were to have an office and have everyone drive over. Uh, food expenses are lower for everyone because we all eat in the same house. We all cook together. Uh, most importantly, just overall running a business is easier when you have everyone in a central location. You don't have to wait for someone to come in at 8 a.m. to, you know, go to work. I don't have to wait for, a, you know, someone calling out sick. We're here, right? So information is the easiest to obtain. And that's usually, that's the biggest luxury in having everyone in the same house. And it's easier to run a company. So I think any business can operate this way. If it's feasible, you know, if we wanted to be a product business, we could fulfill out of the garage if we wanted to. Um, You know, if we wanted to be a logistics distribution company, we could park eight trucks out front and have everyone live here. So I don't see any other business that can't run like this, to be honest. Hmm. Unless you're a manufacturing business, then, you know, you don't need a manufacturer. (laughs) I think a lot of different businesses in our space should run like this. I think think kids would see a bigger result. A lot of other people are actually doing this in our space that I've noticed. Um, not as public as we are, but I've seen it happen. I mean, they're, they look like they're doing well for themselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people that I've interviewed um, have sort of similar models set up and I just wanted to know more about it and, and why you decided to choose it because um, a business partner of mine and I are, are looking kind of just tossing around the idea at this point, not very seriously, but um, yeah, it's, it's something that definitely has me intrigued. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I've, I've seen it as a benefit so much so that as we grow and as my other businesses flourish and we bring digitalism in, I'm looking to even expand it to a second location for people to live at. Wow. Again, to be honest, I, it worked out, hasn't worked out picture perfect. Sure. But you get over the rough edges of running a house and getting everyone on the same page and showing them a long-term vision. Sky's the limit from there. How do you, how do you establish that long-term vision for, for you? Like, how do you set goals? How do you establish where you're going long-term? What does that process look like for you? I honestly don't have a process for that. Um, I always knew growing up, I wanted to be a millionaire by 23. I'm on track Hmm. to do that so far. 
I've always had a goal to be a billionaire by 45. I don't know if I'm on track for that. I can't tell you until maybe 30, 35. Sure. Um, I've always wanted to make a global fashion brand. I've always wanted to make a cannabis brand I'm on track to do the cannabis brand. I just, I think if you lay out goals that seem superficial or out of this world, I mean, people do it every day. Just prove people wrong. I mean, if you really want something, you'll go out and get it won't make an excuse for it so i haven't found myself making many excuses over the past few years so i think that that's why i've accelerated so much and been able to get those goals earlier than what i'm projecting myself to get them at um i don't really have a process to really kind of reach those goals and for me it's it's work 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 and you'll get there um whether you get there in the time that you think you will I mean, you're, you're still going to get there. It might not be in the time period you want. You know, if I don't become a millionaire by 23 next year, for me internally, I would think I'm doing something wrong and I should just quit. But I, you know, if I get there at 24, I'm not going to be disappointed. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's still more than what most 24 year olds are doing with their life. So I don't really have a thought process for that. I don't think anyone does. I think people kid themselves if they really think that they have a thought process for obtaining goals. I just think we have goals and it's really whether or not you're going to work towards those goals to make them come true. I don't think that there's a thought process behind actually getting the goal. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Um, and, and just given the fact that you're working in, in a couple different verticals right now between like cannabis and the digital agency, what, how do you sort of think about um, your focus and, and how do you determine which thing you're working on when and how, how you're able to basically balance multiple, multiple different ventures like that? Timelines, a planner, and honestly having a good team and having a good board um i'm not going to tell you that every day is perfect because it's far from they're actually more complicated as the days go on and as the weeks pass by uh you know not only am i in a cannabis and digital realm i'm in the tech industry i'm in the nootropics industry so it's even more variable across the board different times for different things required different days and weeks for different responsibilities. That's what my mentor always told me, um, which means if you can't work on something today, it will still be there for you next week. It'll still be there for you tomorrow. You really need to prioritize your life and your time to maximize both across the board. So what I mean by that is, you know, if, if, if I had bills to pay and I have something to do within my business, well, I'd be kidding myself if I said I couldn't do both of them the same day most people would result in picking one or the other. So I tend to take on too much responsibility, but I find that that actually makes me more productive and it actually allows me to get more done because by the end of the day, I still have six or seven things on my list to get done. I technically overloaded anyway. So in reality, I wasn't supposed to get to those things till the third day, if that makes sense. Okay. So really overloaded loading, prioritizing, and really writing everything down is how I get a lot done in a day. Right now, I've focused more than I have in the past two, three weeks. I'm focused more on human earth. I'm focused more on the branding deals I have. And most importantly, I'm focused on getting digitalism to where it needs to be uh, because those three things are here and now. Uh, you know, Quickergy and Fog and my commodity sector of the business and all the other things I'm involved in, they are running and they're still going, but they're not a main priority of mine and they don't need much of my attention right now for me to really dive in. So just those three things, honestly, I think a planner is crucial. I tell everyone, get a paper planner. Stop writing things down in notes. Stop using <laughs> it's not tangible. We use our phones for too many other things. We get distracted. Mm -hmm. So get something tangible that you can physically be accountable for 
that you can prioritize in that will completely mainstream how you get things done in the day. So when you talk about overloading, um, talk to like the 18, 19, 20 year old listener right now, because I get a lot of messages from people who are doing like eight different things. They've got a Shopify store, they're doing Amazon FBA, they've got a social media marketing agency, they're, they're trying to grow a YouTube channel. And I personally see them not excelling in any of those areas. So, so talk to that person who's just starting off about how, how you think about overloading at that stage, because obviously um, I would think you have a different thought process between overloading then and overloading where you're at now. Um, so what does that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean overloading in the sense of if I have things to get done for human earth, mm-hmm. I also have things to get done for digitalism. I mean overloading in the sense of taking those two things and overloading in each category. So overloading mm-hmm. in the sense of I may not have to get a commissions contract or an employment agreement together for the director of logistics that I'm bringing on till Wednesday, but I overload it for Monday with the pictures and social media posts and graphics and website proofs and everything else that needs to be done for human earth. Because if I put it on Monday, I'm more inclined to hurry up and get it done. Uh, Same thing with digitalism. If I put all the tedious things that need to get done in a day, like pulling the sales report, daily sales report, I sound it every morning, reminding my partners of the contracts that's going to be sent back, reminding them of email checks, reminding them of all these things. And then I still front load me reviewing and updating systems, me reviewing and updating contracts, checking our cost analysis sheets to make sure that we're not overspending over the course of a month to try to lower expenses. If I front load a bunch of stuff on today, for example, Monday is usually my business day because I front load everything on Mondays. If I front load everything on a Monday, I find that my Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are just a bit easier. Uh, despite everything that might pop up along the way. I don't mean front-loading in the sense of front-loading businesses. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think people that try to run an SMMA, try to run an e-commerce, try to do Forex, try to be a spokesperson, try to, you know, do everything at once, you can't. And again, it's the false impression that a lot of these people um, on Instagram that do all these things give to the everyday person that's trying to get it done and think that it's the right way to do it. So I mean front-loading in the sense of a bunch of tasks under one vertical rather than front-loading verticals, period. Mm. Uh, I think we need to start learning that we're not capable of doing everything at once. And the biggest misconception is people feel the need to do a bunch of things to get more money when you should be focused on one or two things to become really good at it, to get the most money out of those two things. Uh, So that's the principle and concept that I run by. Mm. Totally, totally with you on that. Chin, I've got some questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up. Are you feeling ready for them? Yeah, go for it. Awesome. So the first thing I'm curious about is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? Launching Human Earth. Uh, It's a brand I've held under my belt for two years. I almost sold it twice. Wow. Um, So having it, I think third time's the charm is now it's in my wheelhouse and I get to create something for it. So that's honestly the one thing I'm super excited for. Nervous at the same time because I don't know how people will concept or feel about the branding that I've done. I've done this before and I've had nightmares because it's failed. Um, and I've done it for other big brands and the campaigns did not go as scheduled or as planned. So technically I failed. So I think always releasing something new to the general public that I'm not familiar with when it comes to look and feel and we're so different in our industry already. I don't know how people are going to react to it. So nervous and excited at the same time. Awesome. What habits do you have that have served you particularly well? These could be in your business and your lifestyle, but just things you do on a regular basis. I'm a big proponent on three different things, um, and that's consistency, efficiency, and sacrifice. I say it all the time in my company and all my other companies when it comes to anyone that I work with. 
um, sacrifice in the sense of what we talked about at the beginning, you know, not going out on the weekends, exchanging the movie night for a work night, um, you know, not being able to see your family as much as you may want to, not being able to see your girlfriend as much as you may want to, you know, a big proponent of that efficiency in terms of not taking the long way to get things done, uh, you know, working smarter, but not harder. And then consistency, not working Monday through Friday really hard and then taking the weekend off, but really having the mindset every single day to be able to attack everything that comes your way, regardless of what it may be, regardless if you expected it. And most of all, I always believe in the phrase, everything has a solution. Um, even giving up is a solution sometimes when it comes to certain things. So I'm never an excuse person. Usually I shut down excuses. Uh, if I give an excuse, it's usually legitimate, but I try not to give excuses just because that kind of goes against what I stand for. <laughs> okay, solid. What content, if any, are you consuming right now? I know you're putting out a fair bit of content across multiple different platforms, but is there any audiobooks, books, podcasts that you're listening to? Um, not really. I bought this book, and I honestly have yet to open it. <laughs> <laughs> open and read books more um i'm a big newsletter person honestly hmm. i became that way over the past year and a half i get like 10 newsletters sent to each of my emails so i read about 40 newsletters a day wow the day um morning brew cnn nbc recently i subscribed to a bunch of cannabis ones in the last three weeks for human earth so 420 daily marijuana digest um nootropics and things like that health industry so i'm a very big newsletter person because i don't really have the time to sit down and digress and read a book. I don't have the time to sit down and watch a Netflix special. Um, and I'm in my email all day, every day. So it only makes sense that I keep that trend going for efficiency. Mm. So I'm a big newsletter person these days and it gives me enough information that I do know what's going on in the world. I'm not looking under a rock. Um, sometimes I think I know more than regular people that actually <laughs> on TV all day. But uh, that's really what I've really been into lately. I've been trying to do the podcast thing in the car, but you know, there's so much good music that's been coming out lately. I find it hard to do that. Oh yeah, what are some what are some enjoyable albums lately? Um, jeez, oh, you put me on the spot. Here. <laughs> I just looked at my playlist quick. <laughs> no worries, no worries. I've been trying to get into. So I'm Hispanic by nature, so I've been trying to touch into my culture a lot more. Okay. Um, but there's been a lot of singles that have been coming out, like Enzo with Offset and Savage, Light It Up with Marshmallow and Tyga. Mm. Um, a lot of Spanish remixes have been coming out lately. Mm. Uh, just for anyone out there, they did put Lemonade on Apple Music. They did. Uh, it was a big day. Idol for three years, which Jay-Z cashed out on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of different... I, I, I listen to music all day, every day. So. Helps I me. can totally relate with you on that. <laughs> So, Jin, one thing that I'm also very curious about with, with all the guests that I have on my show is what they do that doesn't scale. So personally, what, just to give you some context of what I'm talking about here, um, every single day I'll pull out my phone, I'll look at my list of new followers on Instagram, and I'll pick like five to ten people just randomly and just send them a quick video message, be like, hey, Chin, how's it going? My name's Apple. Thank you for the follow. Let me know how I can help you out um, or anything that I can do for you. Have a wonderful day. Something super simple like that. Um, but it's not something that I choose to, to bring my VAs on to do um, and just mass produce. I, I wanted to have that personal touch. I want people to, to realize that like when they get that message it was from me. Um, is there anything that comes to mind for you that you do in your business that has that personal like chin touch to it and isn't something that you choose to like mass produce or mass scale? Oh, that's a good question. Um, huh. I'm a big person on accountability. So I don't okay. know if that sort of applies, but... I basically have tried to have everyone in my house operate the way I do. Hmm. So 
I'm a very big proponent on filing away emails um, and having a less than 50 inbox. Usually wow. Less. Um, I'm a very big proponent on time management. Usually if you ask me the time that it is during the day, I don't have to look at a clock because I look at the clock so much. Every time I get up, every time I sit down, every time I'm on the go, I'm always looking at the clock. So I'm a very big person on time management. I probably look at my phone like a hundred times a day for the time. Does that stress you out? No, it actually motivates me. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people tell me it stresses them out. I find it as a way to keep myself accountable by knowing the minute. Okay. A lot of people think 60 seconds is different than other people's 60 seconds. We all get the same 60 seconds. It all depends how you use it. Um, so looking at the clock all day, every day is really how I keep myself accountable. Um, but I think accountability in general is something that I'm very big on. It's something that I've always been taught produces results. It's always something that my mom has always held me up to. You know, if, if you don't pay this bill, this is the consequence. You know, if you act this way in public, this is the consequence. So same thing with accountability. You know, if you don't get your work done, you don't get paid. If you don't get paid, you can't pay your bill. You know, you saw that commercial back in the day. It's, yeah. you know, this, this happens. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the basic principle of life. And it's the one principle that people fail to realize is rules our everyday world in many different ways more than one. So I think accountability is probably something I don't mass produce. I do it in all my companies. I'm very accountable towards everyone. If I give you a list of things to do, I usually put a timeline on it. Um, I like to test people. I'm a very big proponent on seeing if someone's understanding what they're learning. More importantly, I'm a big proponent in seeing if people pay attention. Uh, so I'll test people from time to time. I'll give them something impossible to do and put an impossible timeline on it and see if they're realistic with themselves. Um, hmm. Or I'll see if they try to struggle and actually get it done and half-ass it. Um, which isn't what they shouldn't be doing. So I'm a very big proponent of accountability and just overall testing to see if people are really understanding what they're doing overall. I love it. Chin, I really want to respect your time. So um, where can our listeners go if they want to follow up with you, learn more about what you're doing and um, contact you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Chin. You can DM me. Um, I'm on Twitter. I honestly don't use it, so don't DM me. <laughs> Um, I'm a big proponent on email. So if you want to email me free, feel free. I have people email me all day randomly. Uh, but Instagram is honestly the main way you'll find me. So at Chin. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link up all those in the show notes below. Chin, thank you again so much for your time choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. Do you have any last closing thoughts or words of wisdom you want to close out the show with here today? No, I appreciate your time. Absolutely, man. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Apple. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. To leave me five, all you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast's page for Young Smart Money and click on the Write a Review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, Online Course Examiner. Examiner.com. Check it out.